Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Bruce. And I'm Josh, and we're your farm management hosts. Let's get started. Josh, it's that time of year to be thinking about the beginning and returning to daylight savings time. What's that look like on your radar? Bruce, I love and I hate daylight savings time for two reasons. I love it because whenever I get home, I'll have two, three hours before the sun goes down. I can do what I want to do. It's less depressing at night. But also with the daylight savings time, it comes with a honeydew list. So I see my list getting longer and longer. And now I don't have any excuses. The sun's still out, so I have to get it done. So it's a love-hate relationship. What about you, Bruce? How do you feel about daylight savings time? I remember a funny story. My niece was a a student over uh, in Indiana at a university. And at that time, Indiana was adopting daylight savings time. And, And the reaction from the students kind of alarmed my niece. And it was shocking because the student, the Indiana student, uh, thought that once daylight savings time started, that they would lose an hour and by jumping forward, lose an hour, and that every day that summer afterwards would be 23 hours long, not 24. So (laughs) it was an educational moment for my niece, teachable moment to that student over there in the state of Indiana that, in fact, it was just a a one-time move the clocks ahead and not every day thereafter was going to be 23 hours. So I thought that was kind of funny. I can relate to that a little bit. Whenever I was working up at Ohio State, when I was working as one of the office associates in my dorm, I was actually working 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift on daylight savings time. And that three-hour shift turned into four-hour shift. And I thought I wasn't going to get paid for it. So I wasn't too happy until they finally said, no, well, we got you covered. So <laughs> so what's the date that we can advise our listeners to think about daylight savings time coming up here shortly? March 10th. March 10th is going to be that day where we got to set our clocks back. I know a lot of us, I personally don't have any clocks I need to set back. They automatically just go in my house. So uh, if you got <laughs> clocks that need set back, make sure you set them back on March 10th. That's awesome. Will do. That's a great public service we're providing here today. So, well, Josh, our guest today, we are glad to have on board with us Clint Schrader. We've heard from Clint Schrader before on our podcast on farm management. If you remember back, Clint shared with our listeners about farm business analysis and benchmarking, but Clint also has experience and knowledge in kind of the decisions that need to be made with the local farm service agency office coming up here for the farm bill decision and the program selection and enrollment that's happening. And so, Clint, welcome back to our podcast. Thanks, Bruce. Excited to be here back again. You had mentioned March 10th is the date that we're going to lose that hour. So just keep that in mind. Farm bill decisions need to be made by March 15th, but we're going to lose a whole hour in there where you can really think about this decision. We want to encourage our listeners to really help out the FSA staff. You don't have to wait until March 15th to make that decision. There's some information that you can review now and make the decision knowing that prior to that deadline, your decision is going to be one that really is good for your farm operation. So Clint, let's talk through first about the three really big program choices that farmers are looking at at this point for the farm, this next farm bill. The backstory is this year for the 2024 decision is an extension of the programs that were previously in place for 2023. So it's a little bit of a review for most people, but unlike maybe 2021, 2022, there's maybe a little bit better chance that there are going to be payments made on some of these programs. And we'll talk about why that is. I think that 
Listeners will be familiar with the three programs that they can elect, the ARC or Agricultural Risk Coverage at the county level or the individual level. So the ARC county or ARC individual, and then price loss coverage. So those are really kind of the three options that farmers have the choice right now to make as far as which one of those programs they want to elect and then enroll in. Can we talk about some of the key terminology and key concepts when we're talking about our base acres or PLC yields? This is an area that people that are maybe new to these farm programs can be challenging to kind of wrap your mind around, but base acres. Base acres were originated back in that 1985 farm bill, so quite a while ago. Bruce, I think you were probably just starting your career then in 1985, but I've seen that. I've seen the the pictures of you and your hairband era, but... Uh... I started in 1994. So the 85, I was doing things elsewhere. So yes. Okay. But uh, no, I think that really kind of goes back to those decisions back then when farms were enrolling for those base acres are a factor today. And so this was initially calculated based on planted acreage of covered commodities over a five-year period. And so as we think about that, if a farm at that time was maybe diversified livestock and they had a substantial amount of pasture that went out of pasture production and into row crops, they don't have base acres for that production. And so this is something that comes up quite often. And the reason why this was kind of put into place this way, it kind of decouples that payment from what the actual planted acres are. In other words, we're not trying to incentivize our corn markets low, you're going to get a payment. The last thing we want farmers to do is plant more corn because they know they've got a guaranteed payment coming. And so that was kind of the rationale there. But for these programs, it's important to remember that these potential payments that we might see are going to be made on those base acres. For this go-around, there's no update to base, so we're not allowed to reallocate. That was allowed to happen, I think, in 2002 and then in 2013. But for this go-around, there's no change to the base, no reallocation, but we are going to make those payments on those base acres. And then, Josh, you mentioned PLC yields. This is kind of the number that we use for that payment factor. Farmers had an opportunity to update those PLC yields based on their 2013 through 2017 production at the beginning of that 2018 farm bill. It doesn't come into effect at all if we're going to pick one of the ARC programs. The only time that PLC number matters is if we're selecting the PLC program for a commodity. Clinton, how does an operator, a farmer, know their base acres or where do they get that information? Can they request that from FSA? So the best way to get that is they're going to need to go and and they can call in or email or just stop by, but they're going to need the form. It's FSA 156EZ. That form is going to have all of the information as far as their base acres, their PLC yields program they elected or were enrolled in last time. So if they were in price loss coverage or, or one of the ARC programs, that's going to be on there. And they're going to have one of these forms for every farm number that they operate on. And I think that's important for the people that maybe aren't as familiar with kind of the farm policy. A farm number is not necessarily an individual field. It might be tied to, you know, a couple different fields. And so 
the farm should know what their FSA farm number is, and they should have one of these FSA 156 EZ forms for each farm number that they operate on. These programs are designed to manage risk. And so it's to get it exactly right, we'd have to have a crystal ball to figure out, you know, what are the county yields going to be? What are the national market prices going to be? And actually, price does play into some of the calculations. And so some of these programs or these programs will use what they call a market year average price for a particular production year. Can you walk us through that term, uh, market year average price as well? Yeah. So I think it's important to remember that it's a 12-month national average. They take into consideration the price received by the farmer at the first point of sale. The other thing is it's not a calendar year. As I said, it's a 12-month national average, but it basically goes on that crop year. And so for corn and soybeans, that runs from September to August. Wheat is from June to May. And so it's weighted again by those first sales. So if a lot of crop is sold initially by the farmer in October and November, it's going to be weighted heavier to those prices versus maybe a rally that we see later on if the farmers sold more early. So and that's kind of the way that works. Every month, the USDA WASDE report, World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates, are released. And they have an update in there that talks about what the projected market year average price is for that coming year. So important to remember right now, we're in the calendar year 2024, but we're still setting that market year average price for the 2023 crop for corn and soybeans. And that won't be finalized until August. So a little bit of a long timeline there. It's kind of that projection. And then we have to let that play out. And that even goes further to say that we're making that election, that decision by March 15th right now for the 2024 crop year, and we haven't begun to start calculating the market year average price for the 2024 because that won't start until September of 2024. So there's many, many factors of unknown at this point with this decision, but it's it's still an important decision and it's it's a risk management decision, not about calculating the highest payment for the producer per se. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that sometimes we we miss because when it comes to farm policy, perfect example is this year the the new farm bill has been delayed and so we're still operating under the old one, but there've been a lot of times in the past where because of delays in the program or implementation, you kind of already know how the race is going to finish and then you can go pick your horse. So this kind of enrollment timeframe that we're looking at is still way in the future. And I think that really should force our farmers to think about how much risk do I have on the farm? What are my areas of risk? And then which one of these tools is maybe going to help me manage that risk a little bit better? Clint, I see reference prices. And when I look at the reference prices, the dates from like 2014 to 2024, obviously been on the rise. But I also see two different names for them. I see statutory reference price and the 2024 effective reference price. Can you explain a little bit about these reference prices and the difference between the two? And also, why is wheat the same? We saw corn and soybeans have a higher reference price for this 2024 decision than what they were in the past. And the reason is there was a escalator written in. And really what that did is 
It said, as commodity prices rise, we're going to take kind of a factor of the five-year Olympic average and increase our reference price, or we're going to look at what was 85% of that market year average, uh, Olympic average, and raise that reference price. And so we had the, what they're calling the statutory reference price from the 2014 timeframe. And so for corn, that was 370, soybeans was 840, and wheat was 550. And so as we've kind of seen commodity markets rise, especially on the corn and soybean side, we've seen those market year average prices go up, and that's essentially pulled up our reference price. And so that creates an effective reference price for this 2024 decision, corn at 401 a bushel, soybeans at $9.26 a bushel. Wheat did not see maybe that same rise in commodity prices, so it is going to stay at that 550 per bushel level that was the same as our statutory reference price. So really, just the way that this program's trying to be proactive a little bit and saying, okay, these prices need to come up because we've seen the value of these underlying commodities go up. And so this is kind of the way that was written in to try and maybe offer a little bit more risk management as we talk about higher dollars invested for farmers. So Clint, some of the terms we used already were the steps that you would carry out with FSA, making that appointment, getting the right paperwork signed. Essentially, it's a two-step process and FSA calls it election and enrollment, but that could still be just completed at one appointment or one visit or one basically step, but there's a two-step process to get this decision done by March 15th. And so this is where election versus enrollment. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Bruce. You could go in in one day and get it all completed. But for some farmers, maybe they've got a lot of different farm numbers they're looking at, and maybe they're consulting with partners in the business or landlords or whatever it might be. The important thing to remember is you can verbally tell the FSA, okay, for this farm number, I'm electing Art County on all commodities, or you know, maybe a different farm number, you're going to elect PLC. But that process isn't good enough. You, you have to sign the form to complete that. And so enrollment's completed when you sign FSA form CCC-866. And that needs to be done for each farm number. So if you have 10 different farm numbers that you're operating on, and you sign eight of those forms, the other two are not going to be considered enrolled. You know, that wasn't completed. So that's really the two-step process, just verbally, whether it's through the phone or email, telling them this is what you want to do. It doesn't end there. You need to have this form signed and completed by that March 15th deadline. Clint, can you explain why it may make sense for a farm to elect in the agricultural risk coverage ARC at the county level? The ARC County program is really designed to protect against maybe revenue losses. And so when we think about revenue, there's a couple factors that go into that. Obviously, the yield, but then also what is our commodity prices? And so basically the way that the ARC County program works is they're looking at a five-year Olympic average of that reference price or the marketing year average price. Then they're also looking at a five-year Olympic average of the county yields. And so those are the RMA yields is where they're coming up with that number. And so by using that five-year average and the five-year average for both yields and prices, 
we're going to come up with what we're considering our benchmark revenue. So that's essentially our goal. The guarantee is that you're going to get paid up to 86% of that benchmark revenue. If there would be a production shortfall or maybe average yields with lower prices, if you don't meet that 86% of benchmark revenue, the difference essentially is going to be that payment. And so to put some numbers with it, if we said our benchmark revenue was $1,000 per acre, 200 bushel corn times $5, that's going to be our benchmark revenue in this example. 86% of that is $860. If that county revenue, so again, our market year average price times our county yields for that year comes in at $840, we're below that $860 benchmark revenue, our farm payment is going to be $20 per base acre. And then there's also a factor where the government sequester reduced that. And so it's only 85% of that. So essentially a $17 per base acre payment. So again, two factors that come into play, county yield and the market year average prices. So you get both aspects of that might affect your revenue for coverage. So some have kind of described the ARC County program as a shallow loss program, and then others have referred to the PLC, the price loss coverage, as more of the deeper loss program, because if prices really tank and drop below these reference prices, that's the other program that begins to trigger on price only. So how does that PLC then describe that? how that's different than our county. Price loss coverage is a little bit simpler because we have that effective reference price that we set. So for example, corn, it's $4.01 per bushel. What we're looking at is where does that national marketing year average come in? So if our reference price was $4.01 a bushel and we had a national marketing year average of $3.81, that's going to be a 20 cents per bushel shortfall. And then the payment's going to be calculated off of the base acres again, what that PLC yield was on that form 156 easy. So that's where this number comes into play. And then again, that 85% reduction. In that kind of scenario, a 20 cents per bushel loss, we would be looking at if you had a 150 bushel PLC yield times that 85%, looking about $25 or $25.50 per base acre is what the farm payment would be. And so I think the other thing that's important to remember is the ARC County, again, as you said, more of a shallow loss, there is a cap on how large that payment can be. On the PLC, it's uncapped. So this is kind Kind of one of those scenarios where if you were looking in your crystal ball are very concerned about commodity prices getting below that 401 level for corn or 926 for soybeans this might be where the price loss coverage program would maybe provide you the risk management that you're looking for now clint sorry if you've already mentioned this but i also wanted to reiterate how is that national average found that 381 in your example that's underneath our 401 price reference point that's going to be that market year average price that gets published in our WASD reports every month. So there's a calendar that lists when those come out. Generally, those can be market movers, but this is the less important part of that. But that updates provided monthly that kind of looks at that market year average price. And so right now, I think like USDA is projecting a 480 
corn price for the 2024 season. And so again, that's a ways off as that kind of starts to firm up and the market starts moving, we're going to see that update every month. And then when it goes final, that's the number that we would then use in that calculation. So this seems like it's very complex. There's a lot of moving parts within the ARC and PLC. Is there any tools out there that's going to be able to help me make sense of it all, keep all my ducks in a row? The FarmDoc group there at the University of Illinois has what they're calling the FAST tool, and that can be very helpful if, again, you have your Form 156 and you know what your PLC yields are, and you can kind of walk through different scenarios on on your farm, if you're looking at Art County and curious about, okay, what if we have really good yields and the price continues to fall? And you can see kind of the breakdown of, okay, this is what it would take for you to have a payment on the Art County side versus the PLC side. And really kind of walks through that decision-making, giving you different scenarios that you can play with to see what level of risk you have on your farm that you're trying to mitigate. That's been a great summary. And I think looping back around to where we started, having those three options to pick from. I remember some decades ago, there were some farmers that said, for risk management in the USDA farm bill, we don't have any choices to pick programs. Well, now we do. And we have had through the process of the last few farm bill cycles, we've had some choices to make. And so to reiterate our three choices today, ARC County program, which uses those county yields, it's a revenue risk management program election that uses county yield as well as the national market year price. Agricultural risk coverage individual is a a little bit more in-depth decision, Clint, that we haven't really touched on, but there are some times when that should be considered. And then lastly, our third choice was that price loss coverage. And so thoughts on what should a producer evaluate? What kind of risk are they most fearful of? Is that maybe a way to ask the question, what am I most concerned about that could really harm my business? if X happened. I think that you'd mentioned ARC individual. There's certainly places where that might be an appropriate decision to make for a farm. We don't see a lot of acres signed up for that for a number of reasons. One, there's a little bit of a higher burden of record keeping that's made on your individual production. And so you have to come in with your record and have that in place. But that program essentially functions very much in the same way as the Arc County, just based on your individual. And so we see that maybe producers that have had acreage that they prevent planted, that's sometimes where that plays out. So if your crystal ball says that you're expecting a really wet spring and delays with planting, that might be an area that you'd look at, or highly variable production. We think about river bottom ground or maybe some spots that are very sandy that you've had good yields on the past few years, but you're really thinking this year it might be hot and dry and going to impact that production. So those are a couple of examples of where that ARC individual might be worth a look at. But I think that, again, it comes back to on the ARC side, it's, it's what's our revenue? So what's our yield and what's our price? And whether we're looking at that from the county level or the individual level, it's still kind of the same thing. 
price loss coverage is really just worried about price and falling commodity prices are really going to be the only factor in, in that. The other thing that we didn't mention, and I don't want to muddy the water too much, but there's a little bit of a crop insurance decision that comes into play with the price loss coverage. And, and that's the supplemental coverage option. So Farms that are purchasing crop insurance, that's policy that they can carry as supplemental coverage option. But essentially, that's going to provide more protection. So if you had a general farm revenue protection policy at 80%, and then you wanted to add on the supplemental coverage option, it's essentially a way to buy up more protection up to about the 86% of revenue. And that's, again, a county-based coverage option. So the thing to kind of remember is if you're okay with spending some money to coverage or for risk management, it's a way that you can enroll in PLC and then buy a little bit of that area revenue protection from maybe an 80 to 86% loss. And so it's an additional policy. It's going to cost some money, but it's only available if a farm signs up for the price loss coverage option. So another little wrinkle that kind of comes into play there. Clint, March 15th being that deadline for these programs, and it's coming up really soon. It's actually coming up in a couple of weeks. If someone's interested in these programs and they wanted to talk to someone face-to-face -face about electing into either one of these programs, who would they reach out to? Is there any resources through OSU, through FSA? Where would they go? We've put a lot of the articles on the Ohio Ag Manager site that kind of introduces that decision tool. But I think that the good first step is they need to go to their FSA and get that form 156EZ. That's the starting point. That gives them what they have already or in the works, what their base acres are, what their PLC yield is, what programs are previously selected. And from there, I think that it's worthwhile to reach out to your county extension office, ask questions there. I know we've worked with our team pretty extensively on some training to help them understand how to maybe use that tool or how they can help a producer walk through that. And so that's another great resource. And then our farm office team, I know we're always happy to, to kind of help answer those questions if you reach out to us. Well, thanks, Clint. We appreciate you coming back. I know we didn't scare you off your first podcast experience here with us. Is there any final thoughts you want to give the audience before we let you go? No, I think this decision is going to be coming up pretty quick. This whole time I've been a little bit distracted because i trying to wonder how Bruce is going to set back his sundial one hour. Other than that, you know, it was great to be here. Thanks for listening today. For more information about farm management tips, be sure to check out the farm office at farmoffice.osu.edu.